We're going to be reading in the book of Romans today, uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with Christ, with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. Good morning. Uh, I am Todd Kilmeyer, one of the pastors here at FBC. Um, usually on Wednesday nights, you can find me upstairs in th room 300 in our little dungeon up there uh, with the students and, uh, of course, hanging out with uh, young adults as well. Um, but today I get to bring the message um, here with you, and, and I'm really excited about that. And so, um, but I want to actually start off uh, this message with a little bit of a task or a favor that I need to ask you. Um, this sermon is about you, um, and I mean you personally. Uh, so many times when we're in listening to a pastor, and I do this myself, is we always start thinking about those people that need to hear that message. It's like, oh man, I know my annoying neighbor or my friends and family that really need to hear this truth today. Well, I want you to not do that today and just focus that this is actually for you. This is personalized for you. Um, and so just remember, as I speak, this one is for you. We should always do this. But of course, um, just especially today, think about how this message is tailored specifically to you. Um, there's a great, uh, wise and great theologian named Ron Swanson. And uh, he has a particular view when it comes to eating. Uh, he's, he's what I would call a meditarian. Uh, he only eats meat. Like, unlike a vegetarian who only eats vegetables or a vegan, uh, he is a meatitarian. He loves uh, meat. And th there's a particular episode of Parks and Rec. He's not, just so everyone knows, he's not actually a theologian. Um, he's just a character on a uh, show called Parks and Rec. But he goes into this health food store. And, of course, in this health food store, they have some samples of their food. And so he walks up to one and... The guy behind the counter says, hey, this is meatless bacon. Uh, and so, and it's, a, it's vegan bacon. So he says, oh, can I have one? 
and is in a deadpan way, he takes it, receives it, and throws it into the trash next to them. He's like, hmm, can I have another? And so he gets it, and he looks at it, and puts it in the trash. And, of course, uh, the, the guy is kind of a little confused, and he says, is, is there a problem, sir? He's just, and he basically says, I'm just making sure that no one will ever have to eat this. Now, I can tell you, if I was in the same position, I'd probably do the same. And not that I have a problem with vegan or vegetarian diets, but I also don't like foods that pretend to be other foods. Um, Veggie burgers? Get out of here. I can't believe it's not butter. I can't, I'm never, uh, I can't believe I'm never going to eat that. Meatless bacon? Definitely never going to happen. And kale? Don't pretend to be salad. Okay, you get my point, but of course that last one is just my personal opinion. But if you are bacon, be bacon. If you're a vegetable, be a vegetable. Uh, don't be a veggie burger. I mean, make up a new name, call yourself something like veggie barbecue patty, and stick with it. It's okay. Just tell me what it is. So with just like me, we Christians, um, we need to know who we are as Christians. We need to stop pretending to be something we're not. And we need to interact with the world and understand who we are so we can interact with the world around us. We cannot be veggie burger Christians uh, to pretend that pretends to be a beef patty when really it's just a healthy meal. So we need to live uh, like Christians. And so today I want to tell you where we're going. So if you're a note taker um, and you want to just hear where I'm going uh, with this message today, you can like ch- just make sure you write this down. Um, and, and then you can fall asleep for the rest of the message. No big deal. Um, and then you can talk about it later and you're good. Um, so the title of this message is you're a Christian live like it. The first point will be live like you have new life. And the second will be live like you are resurrected. And finally live like you are free. So let's jump right in to the first point, which is live like you have new life. So here's what it says in uh, Romans 6, verses 1 through 4, just in case you missed it. It says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christians was raised or just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So remember when I just said, like, hey, this message is for you? Um, I mean it, because I know that if you were anything like me, you just thought of those people that really need to hear this. It's like, oh man, I know a person who who should stop sinning, Uh, like that annoying neighbor, that friend or family member. So, no, 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 Let's, let's back up. This is about you. Um, I want to assure you uh, that now that we are focused on ourselves, that this passage uh, doesn't teach that you can't, uh, that you cannot outsin the grace of God. There is no way you can outsin the grace of God. If you've trusted your life to Christ, I want to assure you today, just like as Pastor Greg likes to say, uh, your biggest sin may be in front of you. Maybe in your future. And yes, Christ dying on the cross, his blood covered that sin too. 
So I want to assure you that this doesn't mean that grace doesn't cover all your sins. Uh, and I want to be, assure you, if you haven't trusted your life to Christ, that there is no sin apart from rejection of Christ himself that he won't forgive. So I want to assure you before we go on, but as Christians, we, we have this difficulty because the reality is, is we still sin. We, we know in our hearts and our minds that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus for those who are in Christ Jesus, that we are free from sin and death, but we still sin. We still struggle. We still fall. And so we live in a world of temptation that, and it seems like we cannot help but sin. And sometimes, so to react to that, sometimes we act like the Pharisees. Sometimes we, we start making up rules to make sure that we, don't, we aren't tempted so that we don't sin. And then we make rules on top of that rule to make sure we don't break the rule so that we don't fall into temptation to fall into sin. And then we make other rules on top of those. And then those become the, the, the standard of holiness and the standard of a good Christian. Let, let, let me give you an example. Now, you might say, you might have a problem and, and, and there are Christians that might struggle with the temptation of watching rated R movies. That might fall, have them fall into sin. A rated R movie may actually do that. And there's nothing wrong with that rule. However, what this happen, what happens is we make that rule about, okay, we're not going to watch rated R movies. But then that becomes the standard of holiness for all Christians in their lives. So then no longer is it, oh, they can't watch rated R movies to protect themselves from sin, from sinning, which may actually be good for them. They make that the standard of holiness for everyone else. So that no longer anyone who watches, or so for anyone who watches a rated R movie, they aren't a good Christian. They are falling into sin just by uh, watching rated R movies. And that just falls right into what we'd call legalism. See, the problem is that Paul is addressing is a sin problem. And, and sin will be a, and is a problem that we will face in our lives, even as Christians. So he's not talking about sin just as we fall in our Christian lives where we just fall short of the perfection and holiness of God. But Paul is warning us against the abuse of grace in a Christian life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who is a famous theologian uh, during World War II, uh, he, he actually addresses this issue of the abuse of grace in Christian lives, and he calls it cheap grace. In one of my favorite books outside of the Bible, it's called The Cost of Discipleship. He states this. Now bear with me, this is a long quote, but it's very pointed. He states, The essence of grace, we suppose, is that the account has been paid in advance, and because it has been paid, everything can be had for nothing. Since the cost was infinite, the possibilities of using and spending it are infinite. What would grace be if it, was, if it were not cheap? He goes on to say, The cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. He then goes on to say that costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again. The gift which must be asked for. 
the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it's grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin. And grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the, uh, the life of his son. Ye were bought with a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son to dear, dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him, us for, or delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. This is what Paul is addressing in the verses, in verses one through four. It's, he's basically calling us to stop living in sin, to stop living like we were dead. Instead, to live in the newness of life that is, that he has called us to. He says that don't you know that you have been buried with him in baptism? That, that Christ's death on the cross is the death that he paid in a, uh, for the penalty of sin. Meaning if we are united in Christ, if we have Christ, if we consider ourselves in Christ, we should have a new life. Something that is different than the old. We have a choice. And when Christ died and rose again, he defeated the penalty of sin that we earned. Death. Our union in Christ means that he paid for that death and resurrected, which shows us that the death penalty of sin is no longer on us. We can actually live a new life. We can follow Christ with our own self. We can follow Christ as our master instead of sin as our master. We don't have to be the walking dead anymore because Christ we can walk, as it says, in newness of life. This should be freeing to us. Live like we are actually alive. We are no longer dead. We don't have to live as if we were had the death penalty on our lives anymore. Live like we have new life in Christ. And this brings us to the second point in Romans 6, verses 5 through 11. Live like you were resurrected. Live like you were resurrected. In verse, uh, verse 5, it says, For if we have been united with him in death, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also, also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ in, in, oh sorry, to God in Christ Jesus. See, Paul is describing again in more detail our union with Christ. And as Pastor Greg said last week, it, the union of Christ is more than just an intellectual knowing, an intellectual sense of knowing who Christ is. It's more than even just a relationship. It is our identity. We are bonded to Him, and that is, and it's in, we are interconnected with Him and bonds us to Him. So, when the Bible says that we are in Christ, 
It is our identity. It is not just a relationship that we have. It is more than a relationship. So this also means that when we are baptized with Him, we identify that our old self has been buried. But as we know, every Easter we celebrate this, we know that Christ didn't die and stay in the grave, but three days later He rose again from the grave. And in our identity in Christ, we have been resurrected, so our old life has been put to death. Our new life is now in Christ Jesus. So Christ's crucifixion was our own. Christ was on the cross where we should have been. Christ did not deserve to, to, to die a death on the cross. We did. But he died so that the penalty of sin, which entangled us, would no longer enslave us. Because he rose again three days later so that we could have the newness of life. Let's think of it like this. Imagine a criminal, a prisoner, who is guilty. Life sentence, no parole, and is thrown into jail. And I'm not talking about like these nice jails where like you have access to the courtyard and, and can work out and three meals a day. No, no, I'm thinking medieval castle life in prison with no chance of parole. So every moment of your life is under torture, either by the guards, life in chains in an uncomfortable position, disease and threats to your life are on a, are a daily occurrence, if not hourly. So this prisoner isn't like a wrongfully accused Andy Dufresne in Shawshank. No, he did the, he actually committed the crime. He deserves to be in prison for life without chance of parole. And after decades and decades of this torturous time in prison, a man actually opens the door and walks in and he doesn't recognize him as a guard that's about to beat him. He recognizes him as someone different. And this man comes over to him, unchanged his shackles, and says, I'm going to replace you. You are free. And so the man's kind of a little shocked and starts walking towards the door. And none of the guards that see him dare question what happens. And he walks not only out of the door of the prison cell, but he actually walks straight out of the prison, the front doors with no one saying anything. Now, I'm not sure what this man would think, but I can assure you his first thought isn't, hey, maybe I should go back into that prison. He's thankful that a man just took his place and that he is free. See, this is what Christ does for us. But we forget this as Christ actually defeats the penalty of sin in his resurrection. We forget that we are actually set free. This is why Paul says in verse 11 that we must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Considering takes time and thought and energy to do. We need to remember that we are alive in Christ. We are set free from the shackles of sin. We are set free from the prison because Christ paid that penalty, paid the death penalty for us. We do not have to return to the jail cell. We are set free. So not only are we to live like we have new life or live like we are resurrected, 
But the third point is live like you are free. Let's look at Romans 6, 12 through 14. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Paul tells us to not let sin reign in our bodies. This is not the master we serve anymore. He is calling us not to return to the prison cell and the chains of our own life. That we are actually made for something new in our new life. We are made for righteousness and to be used for anything, uh, excuse me, (laughs) to be used for anything less is just unnatural. When uh, I was growing up, um, we usually, for, for Christmas and Thanksgiving, we would always have a special meal. Like, I mean, as many of you do um, during the family traditions. And the funny thing is, is every Christmas we'd have a turkey or ham or some kind of special meal. And my mom would take out these nice plates and nice silverware. Uh, and we'd eat on these special plates. And these special plates obviously were used for these special meals. And they actually had a special place in our home in this glass cabinet. So everyone who could come over could look at our special plates and special uh, silverware and know, oh, those are very special. Now, the point of the plates were that they were for special occasion. They were, they were more valuable. They were nicer. And, of course, they were made to celebrate the, the special times with family. So to use those for a regular meal, or God forbid, a, even a takeout Chick-fil-A meal, that would just be blasphemous. It's special, it's the special plates. They were made for special times. So, and honestly, if, to be honest, if we did use them for one of those non-special times, my mom would probably just force feed me meatless bacon. Um, you just don't use them for non-special occasions. And just like the special plates, once we have trusted our lives to Christ and we have newness of life, we are made for righteousness. We're no longer ordinary. We are made for life. We are not made to continue to sin. We are no longer condemned by the law, but we are under grace, as it says in verse 14. See, Paul even actually repeats this idea that that once we have new life, we are made to do something different. Our, our, our life changes when we trust in Christ. We are made different. We are made new. In Ephesians 2, it says that we are actually made for good works, that we should walk in them. Should walk in them. It's a choice. We, we can walk in good works. We can walk. We have a choice between sin and Christ. That is our choice that we have to face. A choice to do good works. If we have been given life and freedom from the change of sin, why would we go back into prison? Why would we go back into the shackles of sin? Why would we live and continue to live in unrighteousness? 
Instead, Paul calls us to present ourselves, our minds, our bodies, and before God as instruments of righteousness. Paul's calling us to live as if we were free from that prison cell of sin. See, for some reason, we just think, hey, I have a new life. I can do whatever I want. And we, we forget the cost of grace. It costs Christ His life. And so for some reason, our old self hangs around and we think, you know, this new life that I've been given, this freedom I've been given, it's, it, it, to be honest, it's a little scary because I don't know where my life, I'm not the, in control of my life. Christ is. If Christ is my master, I don't know what that master. You know what I do know? I do know sin. I do know that prison cell. And so what we do is we return to that prison cell happily. And we go into that prison and we put the shackles back on our wrists, back on our feet and say, oh, at least I know this place. As Christians, we do that because we are scared of what Christ offers. We forget Christ offers freedom from that penalty. And so... I would encourage us today to remember that we are actually made and we have the choice to, to choose life and life in Christ. We don't have to live in that prison cell anymore. See, when I'm with the students um, upstairs, I usually end my messages asking them the question of like, so what? Or in another way, how does this change my Monday morning? Or, in their case, Thursday, since it was on a... It, you get it. So I want to ask you the same thing to, to help conclude, and here's some ways that we can apply it. So the, the real... One of the biggest problems in our lives is that the fact that we love sin. We love sin more than we love Christ. When we sin, this is the truth. We, we understand that Christ gave, gave us freedom, but the truth is, sinning is actually fun for us. It's actually pleasurable. It's actually, at least for a moment, okay. We don't see the effects of sin sometimes until much later in our lives. Or, I mean, the last time you sin, it's not like the last time you sinned and, or lied that like your ear fell off. We don't see the consequences of our sin, so sometimes we actually ignore that there is a, a consequence to our sin. And we start to love it because, honestly, we don't see some, some of the consequences. We don't see some of the difficulties. So looking at this passage, part of it is knowing is half the battle. Like, did you know that the, your unity in Christ, is, that you actually have a, uh, a path to choose righteousness instead of unrighteousness? Did you know that you are actually free from that jail cell? That you can actually take off the burden that, of that sin? That there is no more condemnation for those of, who are in Christ Jesus? We'll get to that in a couple of weeks. You don't have to live in those chains anymore. And you are alive and can serve Christ instead of sin. As we live the Christian life, 
we need to ask ourselves, who are we serving? At all times, this passage actually gives us a litmus test of who we are serving. Who are we serving? Are we serving our former master of sin, or are we serving Christ? This is a good diagnostic tool for us as Christians to say, are we believing in that cheap grace, or are we living, or are we believing in that costly grace? So, for those of us who might, who may read this passage and are like truly following Christ, I know some of us have these um, guilty uh, feelings when they sin. When when you sin, it's it's, and you know you've sinned, you've messed up. You're like you're like okay, well. If, if I sin, maybe I don't know Christ. Maybe, maybe I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm believing in this cheap grace. Maybe I'm returning. Maybe I don't understand what it means to be a Christian. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I don't know Christ. Maybe I, I need to be rebaptized. Maybe I need to, oh, I don't know, um, make some more rules up so I don't sin. You have that guilty conscience. And, and, and first of all, I want, I want to say that examining your heart and examining your motivations are a good thing. We should do that. But for those of us who, have, who truly know Christ and still have that guilt of, oh no, I messed up again, I'm, I, oh, I need more condemnation for myself, I, I need this again. I want you to know that the fact that you're even wrestling with that is actually a good thing. The fact that you're wrestling and like, oh no, 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 I, I messed up again. It, the, the reason is, is because we actually are living in this passage in the middle of of legalism, between legalism and antinomianism. Big word for basically just, it doesn't matter once you've accepted Christ, Christ has paid for all your sins, so it doesn't matter how you live. You can live in sin in whatever way you want because it doesn't matter. That's what antinomian, antinomianism says. We live, this passage lives in the middle. We don't want to continue, we don't want to live our lives towards legalism and just make all these rules and uh, and try and follow them because we can't even follow the Ten Commandments anyway. But we'll make more rules so that we we can't follow those, and that's legalism. Or you know what? I've messed up so many times. It doesn't matter what I do. Christ has forgiven me anyway. I'll just continue to sin. It doesn't matter. This 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 passage is teaching in the messy middle. See, grace does abound when you uh, when you sin. But to continue to sin and do so will, willingly without thought or without consideration for your life in Christ, then this is what the passage warns about. This is the cheap grace that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was talking about. This is the, the grace that we, we are abusing the grace of Christ. A way we can understand this passage and live it out is to think ourselves, thinks to ourselves and understand that Christ himself is the reward of following Christ. If you're thinking following Christ will give you a good life, an easy life, then I have to say you're mistaken. That is not promised in the Bible. In fact, it actually looks in the Bible that if you have trusted your life to Christ, your life will actually be met with opposition, with hardships, and with difficulties. Knowing our motivation and who our hearts actually follow is actually the litmus test that I was talking about. We, we, we can understand that Christ is our reward for following Christ. 
Christ is the reward of heaven. Yes, heaven is paved with the streets of gold, but Christ himself is at the center of it. See, think, think about it this way. If gold is so precious here on earth, it's used for pavement in heaven. Not because it's not valuable, it's because Christ himself is more valuable because he is in heaven. He is the reward. And understanding who we serve is the difference between costly and cheap grace. For those of you that may not be sure about Christ or wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, I want you to heed the warning of this passage. I want you to um, understand that Christ and only Christ can save you from that penalty of sin. Just look at how Paul describes your life without Christ in this passage. It would be unrighteous, enslaved, and dead. Those are not words I would like to describe my life. And so if you are longing for something, if you feel that you are separated from God, then I urge you to submit yourself to Christ. Only He and only He, only Christ can save you from this death in sin that we all deserve. So I encourage you to take hold of this new life given in Christ alone. And finally, and this is where I want to end, I want you to think, are you living a life of grace or one that is a life that just leads to death? Who are you serving with your life? Is it sin? Is it your old self? Or is it Christ?